following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Right, so, of course, they didn't have cell phones. Praise God, they didn't have electricity. So, um, when the, when the king would disappear, when the master would go back, you know, he, didn't, he didn't email, he didn't send a text message on my way back, right? So the, 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 the servants needed to be constantly waiting for his return, right? And so he says, uh, be dressed. Literally, it's gird up your loins, you know, good biblical language. Gird up your loins means, you know, you got your, your, your cloak tucked in, ready to run, right? You're ready to run. So when the king comes back and he knocks on the door, kum, 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 you're awake, and whether it's the middle of the day or the middle of the night, you are ready to go open the door for him, right? And you keep your lamp burning, right? You're not going to sleep. You're not checking out. You're not sitting back by the pool sipping tea going, hey, the king's gone. I can chill, right? No, you are prepared, anticipating at any moment he will come back. And when he comes uh, and knocks on the door, you better be ready to go answer. Have any of you ever been locked out of your own house? Okay, I hate that. It's bad enough when you do it to yourself. You know, like you lock your keys in the house and it's your own fault. But um, I've been locked out of my house several times by the Thai girls who live with us who lock us out. And um, we have a key hidden outside. If you ever want to know, I'll tell you because, you know, so you can get into our house. But they don't, the girls are real paranoid, especially if we're not there. And so they don't just lock the door, they bolt it, right? So then the key does no good. I get home in the middle of the night, tired, when I get into my own house, and I'm locked out and bolted out, right? Well, you don't want to, if, if it's a king and you're the household servant, you don't want to do this to the king, right? You want to lose your job or your head, you'll lock him out and then fall asleep so that the king's left out at 2 in the morning banging on his own door to his own castle. Not a good picture, right? So that's the picture Jesus starts with, and he says, um, you need to be stayed dressed and ready. You need to be anticipating and expecting my return. Right? Uh, we should be expecting him at any moment. Um, do we live life that way? Right? Is that how you're living your life today? Are you living as if Jesus could come back at any moment and you are anticipating and prepared for that event? Uh, what if Jesus came back today? Uh, some of you are from maybe New Zealand. Uh, is anybody here from Christchurch? Anybody? No. I do have some friends from Christchurch. You know, several years ago there was an earthquake there. And uh, one of the results of that earthquake is there were just constant hundreds of aftershocks. And they said two or three years after that earthquake that people had developed this earthquake and anxiety, that they were constantly anticipating the next earthquake. Right? It's like people would sleep with their clothes on so that if it came in the middle of the night, they could run out of their house. Right? They're constantly living with this anxiety. And they've actually documented the increase of all these uh, emotional and psychological disorders as a result of living in that kind of atmosphere where you're constantly anticipating that the ground is going to split underneath you. Well, in a sense, that's what Jesus wants us to live like. Not with uh, you know, earthquake anxiety, but with second coming anxiety. Right? that we are constantly kind of on the edge waiting for the moment when Jesus will come back. 
Now, of course, it shouldn't cause psychological disorders with us because the good news, unlike an earthquake, the good news about Jesus coming back is the more we are aware of it, the more we are tuned into it, the better prepared we will for, for when it comes so that we don't have to be fearful. We can prepare well, Jesus is saying, for his return if we're living in that atmosphere. But the reality is that I think most of us feel like, um, you know, it's been 2,000 years. Uh, Jesus hasn't come back. What are the odds it's going to be in my lifetime? You ever feel like that? Or maybe we feel like, well, yeah, he'll come back maybe in my lifetime, but probably not soon. You know, maybe when I'm really, really old, which is a very, very long time from now. Right? And this is the great thing about age. The older you get, when you die, still seems far, far, far away, right? I'm getting closer every day. But I don't feel like I'm any closer than I was 30 years ago. And that's sometimes how we view Jesus' return, right? It's like, well, yeah, it's going to happen, but probably not in my lifetime. Certainly not in the next week. Uh, here, here's a question. Uh, if you knew absolutely for certain, I mean, Jesus appeared to you in a vision uh, and, and he confirmed it, and, and he just made it super clear. You knew, without question, that Jesus was coming back tonight. Right? Tonight. How would you live your life differently? Right? What would you do differently today if you knew for certain Jesus was coming back tonight? Well, if history is any indicator and the experience of others is any indicator of what you would do, apparently we would sell everything we own and go up to the top of Doi Sutep and sit there. Right, because that's what they all did, who thought they knew when Jesus was coming back. Which would be one reason Jesus has not told us the exact time, because that's not what he wants us to do. Uh, so let's, let's, let's make it a little, a little less concrete. Let's say you know Jesus is coming back sometime in the next month. Right? How would you live differently? Well, again, giving the experience of others, apparently we would go out and buy big billboards and put Jesus is coming back on big billboards and run an ad campaign for a month, right? Also, I don't really think what Jesus had in mind. Okay, so let's change the question one more time because this is getting complicated. Let's suppose that you knew for certain Jesus was coming back sometime in the next year. How would you live your life differently? Well, you wouldn't sell everything because you can't live for a whole year with nothing, right? Uh, you can't afford a year-long billboard campaign, so you won't do that, right? So what, what's left? What are you going to do with your life? What's going to be different about your life if you knew absolutely for certain that sometime, the time you do not know, in the next year, Jesus was coming back, would it change anything about how you live your life now? I, I think in my own life, as I think about that question, I, I, I don't know that it would change so much the activities I do, but I think I would do them with a whole different kind of intensity and purpose and focus. Right? I would be much more serious about what I am doing for him and paying attention to my life. Well, that's the point of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the reality is um, Jesus could come back at any time, right? We should always be prepared and live with the expectation that Jesus could come back tonight. He could. Are we prepared for that? Are we ready to meet him? And if he did come back tonight, would he be delighted in what we are doing with our life? Or would we be embarrassed when he shows up knocking on our door and he says, Hey, I'm here. Are you ready? Right? Would we be embarrassed 
and ashamed with what our life is about today. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. Um, and and here, here's the problem. Um, and a lot of people have, have debated if Jesus was actually confused about his return. Because when he told his disciples this, right, we, we know for a fact that his return was some 2,000 years out from when Jesus announced this. Um, so was Jesus confused? Did he think he was coming back sooner? And he actually misled them because he, he said, well, you better be ready because I'm coming back at any time. But he was lying. Well, to think that way is to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not telling them that his return will be soon. Okay, he's not saying that. In fact, he says later, he says, um, uh, you know, I may come in the second or the third watch. Right? The second or the third watch would have been somewhere between midnight and 6 o'clock in the morning. Right? So he's not saying he's coming necessarily soon. Okay? We have, we've, we've been confused thinking that what Jesus is talking about here is that we should be ready for his return because he's coming back soon. That's not the point. Jesus is saying this. You need to be ready for my return because whenever it is, it could be yet 2,000 more years. We don't know. But you need to be prepared because when he returns, it will be suddenly, if not soon. Jesus will come suddenly, in an instant, and without warning. Uh, he says that, uh, that it will be a time when you do not expect. Right? He says if, in verse 38, If he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Right? He's coming without announcement. He will come instantly and suddenly. He will come quickly. There will be no billboard campaigns. <laughs> there will be no television ads. There will be nobody warning saying it's on you know, December 13th this year. Get ready. It's not going to happen that way. He says it will be at a time when you do not expect. So how do you live in the face of a returning king who's coming unannounced and unexpectedly? Well, the only way to prepare for that is to be constantly ready, anticipating his return. Right? Constantly anticipating his return. Not because Jesus may come soon, but because his coming will be sudden and unexpected and unannounced. And so you must always be ready. The truth is, you may die before he comes back. But here's the deal. If you live your life constantly anticipating his coming, it will shape how you live your life in a way that those who live nonchalant about his coming will miss. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Are we living life at the level of intensity and expectation of one who knows Jesus could come today. Be prepared. Right? We need to be prepared. That's his point. He says they are always prepared and always ready. They're always doing the right things um, to be prepared. So here's the deal. What should you be doing? What does being prepared look like? If it's not doing a billboard campaign or you know, living on top of a mountain waiting then what should your life be about if you're really one who's prepared? right? If you're one who's girded up your loins and your lamp is burning, what does that look like? Well, Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 41. Uh, 
Peter actually starts with a question. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? And the Lord said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't read that wrong. Are, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Right? Is this for the disciples or is this a general instruction for everybody? Uh, and Jesus answered and said, uh, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Okay, so Jesus said, uh, Peter says, Lord, who's this for? Okay, and Jesus says, who's the wise manager who the master will set over his house uh, who will dish out the food at the appropriate time? Can everybody track with that answer? Like, this is Jesus, right? Never ask Jesus a question because he's going to give you an answer that's going to leave you totally confused, right? It's like, uh, it's not really what I was asking, right? Uh, what is Jesus talking about here? He goes on, he says, Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, right? Um, Jesus gives another parable of a faithful steward. So the first first parable was about a steward waiting for the king coming back from a wedding. Here's another parable. Only this parable focuses more on, on the activity of the steward. And he, he identifies a special kind of steward. This is not just this, a household servant in general. It's the household steward or manager. Right? And he says this is the person who has been set in charge of the whole household. So a king or a, a wealthy master like this may have may have 50 servants in their house. Right? But when he's gone, he's got to have one person who's in charge, and that is the, the, the chief steward or the household manager. And his job would be to manage the affairs of the whole house and to look after and take care of the staff. Uh, and he says that, that, uh, that this wise manager, this wise household uh, steward, um, is giving them their portion of food at the proper time. So in addition to managing their work and overseeing what they're doing, one of his main responsibilities is to write uh, the paychecks, right? He's in, he's in charge of payroll. And so he, he makes sure that the staff are being taken care of, that they're getting their food and their portions, their rations, their paycheck, right? He's taking care of the staff so that they can do their job and manage the king's affairs well. Uh, that's who this is. He's the boss. He, okay? So some of what, what Jesus is saying here is what I'm talking about here will apply generally to everybody. But really what I'm talking about here are those who are leaders. And I'm talking specifically to people who I have put in charge of my house. Right? And he says that, that the wise one, the wise manager, is a person who is prepared, right? he's expecting, who's waiting for the king's return and, and therefore is, is uh, executing their duties with the utmost of responsibility and care. Uh, he, Jesus is here explaining what it means to be prepared. He is saying, if you want to know what your life should be about as you wait and expect his coming, here's what you should be doing. Right? And it really is uh, one of Jesus' um, definitions of leadership. It says you're in charge of others. In other words, you are a steward, a, a caregiver over people who have been put in your care. You are shepherding a flock. You've got a little flock of sheep, and you are over them. You're responsible for them, and you need to look out and take care of them. 
but you don't do it as one who lords it over them. You are a servant who takes care and ministers to them. Um, blessed is the servant who he finds taking care of the sheep when the master comes back. That's what Jesus is in essence saying here. And I think this taking care of the sheep involves two things. Um, now you may be thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not a pastor, right? I'm not, uh, I'm not an elder of the church, right? So this doesn't apply to me. But here's the reality: almost everybody in this room has been given some kind of flock, right? It may be one little lamb, right? It may be a couple lambs. It may be a bigger flock. It may be a huge flock. But virtually all of us have been given care or responsibility of another human being, who we are to disciple. If you are a parent and you have children, uh, they are your flock, right? That's part of your flock. And you are responsible to lead them and to shepherd them. Um, if you are at school and you're a student and you're in high school, right, and, and there are younger students who look up to you, right, they're your flock. And they're your flock. It's little people who follow you around, right, who look up to you, admire you. You have a responsibility. God has given you a leadership over those people, and you have a responsibility to shepherd that flock. Um, uh, maybe you're a teacher, right? Your classroom becomes your flock. They are looking to you for leadership. Right? All of us are called to be disciple makers. If you only have one disciple, one person you're discipling, that's your flock. And you have a responsibility because God has put you over that person to take care of them, to manage them as a household manager or steward. And, of course, you can go up the scale if you're in charge of you know, in leadership, if you're in charge of a ministry or an organization, or if you're uh, most significantly the leader in a church, as an elder, uh, as a head of some ministry in a church, as a pastor, right? Each level of the flock gets a little bigger, and as the flock gets big, bigger, so does the responsibility to take care of that flock. So what are we supposed to do? Well, uh, Jesus doesn't talk about it here, but let me go off on a tangent and talk about two things I think it means to feed the flock. And Jesus says the steward will be one who gives them their portion of food. So what he's talking about here is if you're you're doing the work, if you're being prepared, you're going to be carrying the flock by giving them their food, giving them the spiritual nourishment they need to grow and mature in Christ and to be... Uh, godly, true followers and disciples. And I think giving food could be broken down into two large categories. The first one is feeding the flock, right? literally feeding the flock uh, spiritually from the Word of God. Right? This is our daily bread. It is our spiritual nourishment. And so to feed those in your care means to teach them the Word of God, right? to explain to them who God is and what His purpose and what His will is. To, to help them grow in sound doctrine and theology, which means you yourself need to know something of theology, right? Because, and here's the, here's the thing, if you're teaching them wrong things, you are responsible, as we'll see in a minute, right? If you're teaching them bad theology, you are responsible for what you teach them, and we'll see that in a minute, right? So you need to be diligent about teaching them, Okay, this, it doesn't matter if you have the gift of teaching or gift of preaching, right? If you're discipling one person, you got the Bible, right? You, you, you show them Scripture. Uh, you guide them to godly books if you, don't, if you don't know all the answers, right? 
but you teach them. You teach them the word. Right? Cause that's what it means to be girded up uh, and your lamp burning. Right? You are diligent about teaching others the word of God and grounding them on a solid foundation of truth based in scripture. Uh, second thing, uh, though, is it's not enough just to do that. Okay? Teaching them is not enough. We, have, we must also love the sheep. Okay? We must love the sheep. Uh, it's vitally important that you not only give them truth, but that you model what that theology looks like in real life. See, we can talk all day about how God's a God of grace and love who sent his son Jesus to die for us. And if we trust him, he will forgive us our sins and he will show us grace and kindness. And we could talk all day about the patience of God and the infinite love of God. It's good. But if we never model and show them what that looks like in our own life, in the way that we relate to them, we're not really shepherding them. Right? We need to model grace and patience. And here's the deal. Your sheep that are in your care, some of them are stupid sheep. Right? You know them. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, tell me about the stupid sheep. Right? And they drive you crazy sometimes, right? Because right? sometimes they don't listen to what you tell them. In fact, sometimes, here's one of my pet peeves. People come to me and ask me advice, and being smart, you know, I, I give them my opinion. And uh, I call that biblical counsel. Um, and and I, I do it with uh, hopefully some grounding in Scripture, right? I hope that I give them at least biblical advice. And um, nine times out of ten, they go and, and they will do the exact opposite thing I just said, right? It's like, well, why did you ask me if you didn't really plan on doing what I was going to tell you, right? Maybe I shouldn't just tell them. Maybe I should try a different approach. I don't know. Um, it can be frustrating dealing with people. And your sheep, your disciples, your followers may not always do what you wish they would. How do we respond to that? Right? Well, if we are modeling grace, we should respond to it exactly as God responds to us. Right? With patience, with kindness, with gentleness, with self-control, with mercy, uh, with grace. Right? We need to love the sheep. Uh, now, my experience, again, I'm kind of going off of Scripture here, but just let me speak for a minute from personal experience. What I have seen is oftentimes leaders are good at one or the other of these, often to the exclusion of the opposite. And they do not produce good disciples because they do not have a good balance between teaching the word and living the word. Uh, there are those who want to be all about God's love, right? And they want to model God's love, and they're all about grace, and they're all about kindness, but they never teach Scripture. Right? And they produce disciples who are shallow and selfish. Right? Shallow and selfish, because they've never grounded them in the, the truth of Scripture, that God is a judge who judges us, that God expects us to walk in obedience, that we uh, will pay a price and a penalty for sin, even, as, even though our sins are forgiven, right? They make God Santa Claus. I'm going to talk all day long about his love, and they want to be loving and kind, but never teach truth. On the other hand, you have people who are all about teaching truth, right? Those theologians and, and people who are just great at, at teaching the Bible, but when they never model love, right, they, they raise sheep who have fangs, right, and bite people, right, because they're mean, 
right? They're mean teachers. They use the scripture as a weapon to beat people over the head. They beat their own sheep with it, right? They raise people who are legalistic, critical, and judgmental, not true followers of Christ. Great theologians, right, who can talk all day and, and, and who will assault you with their theology, right? They'll fly, run, run you over with the, the semi-truck of, of doctrine. Right? You ever been run over by that truck? I have, right? right? Who have great theology and will kill you with it, right, if you get in their way. Right? And they, they raise mean sheep. Right? Well, Jesus says, you know, I'm coming back. I'm going to see the sheep. I'm going to see what you're doing. I'm going to see what your life is about. Right? Are you uh, doing both? Are you really providing and caring for and raising up the flock that I have put in your care? We need to be careful that we are doing both. And the sad reality, and we all know this, that there are a lot of Christians who have been hurt and wounded and beat up by leaders in their, in their organizations in the church, right? Um, it happens a lot, right? And, and we don't want to be that kind of leader. We don't want to show up, um, Jesus to show up, and we are not prepared because we have been beating the sheep. And we'll see in a minute why that's not a good idea. Um, what does it mean to be prepared and anticipating Christ's return? Okay? The point Jesus is making is simple. If you're prepared, it does not mean you're launching a billboard campaign. It means... You are daily investing in people who he has put in your care, feeding them and loving them. That's exactly what it means. That's what our life should be about, regardless of your job position, whatever. Okay? That's what it means to be uh, doing this. And, and Jesus says it should be done in selfless service. Right? Um, verse 45 says this, But if that servant says to himself, talking about a different kind of servant, my master is delayed in coming, and so he begins to beat the, me, the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. Okay, that's, that's a bad servant. He's using his position of leadership for personal gain and is abusing those in his care. Right? So the opposite of that is one who is uh, selfless and who is sacrificially serving those in his care. Again, that's Jesus' picture of leadership. Um, so uh, we, we could end there, but Jesus gives us um, some warnings because this really is serious stuff. Okay, it's serious. And Jesus uh, wants to paint a picture of the consequences, the results of how we handle this and why it's so important. And he gives us four. So let's uh, look at, uh, as, as we finish the passage, let's look at these four things that Jesus says are the consequences depending on how you handle uh, this responsibility. Uh, verse 45, he says, And if that service says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will do what? And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Wow, he will cut him in pieces, put him with the un unfaithful, with the unbelieving. Uh, this is the servant who is is just defiant. Right? This is the person who is in a place, position of leadership, and they've said, "Yeah, Jesus isn't coming back. It's been two thousand years. I have nothing to worry about, and therefore I'm not going to care 
and I'm going to use my position for my own personal gain, and I'm going to beat the sheep, and I'm going to take their food, and I'm going to use it for myself. Right? They get fat and drunk on their self-glory and their self-promotion and their power and their position, and they use it all, and they use the sheep for their own selfish ends. And Jesus says, when I come, when I show up, I'm going to take that person and I'm going to cut them in two and I'm going to give their portion among the unbelievers. Who's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about people who are in leadership in the church, who are in leadership in Christian ministry, but who don't give uh, uh, any thought or concern or care about what God wants. They are defiant of what God is asking of them. And they will re, uh, face severe, severe judgment when they come. In fact, uh, the language here is of eternal destruction. They will not be numbered among the saints. They will not be counted among the believers. Okay, getting cut in two is a bad thing. Okay, a, a very bad thing. Okay, and this is how they would punish people in Jesus' day, literally cut them in two. Right? It means you're dead, right? That's what Jesus says will happen to these servants. I'm telling you, there are people in the church today who are famous leaders, right? Famous leaders in the church who, who write books. Not, not Ryan. <laughs> He's not one of them, okay? But who are, who are admired and respected as leaders in the church who are abusing the sheep and, and doing it all for personal gain and glory. And I'm telling you, when God shows up, it will not go well for them. It doesn't matter how famous they were. He will cut them in two, and they will be cast out with unbelievers, and they will spend eternity in judgment. Right? Uh, you know, it would be, be nice to assume that in this group there's nobody like that. But the sad reality is that in the past we've had people sit in these chairs who I know were like this, right? who, who were leaders in ministry. I remember one guy in particular a long time ago. I don't think any of you know him, and I won't share specific details, but got involved in, a, in an affair uh, with a, a, a national girl. Uh, that's sin, not the end of the world. Confronted him. Had, we had very clear, specific evidence that this was going on. Confronted him, believing completely that he would confess his sin and, and restore his relationship with God and with his wife. Uh, he would have none of it. Right? Uh, he only cared for himself. And I said to him, I said, do you realize what you're doing to your wife and children? Do you not care the damage and abuse and hurt you are bringing on your family? I said, what if your kids reject God and walk away because of your actions? And he said, I just don't care. I just don't care. All he could care about was himself, right? I tell you, I don't know. I'm not God. I do not want to be in that guy's shoes when, he's, when Jesus comes back, right? Um, regardless of his position, Second one, okay? Second person. Uh, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. Okay? Uh, this is a different person. Okay? This person is actually not cut in two. He's not cast out with the unbelieving, which means this. This person is a Christian who ends up in heaven. This is a a follower of Christ. This is somebody who has salvation. They're in a position of leadership. They're shepherding some flock somewhere. And they know God's will. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They know they're supposed to be making disciples. They know they're supposed to be investing in people. They know they're supposed to be teaching the word. 
But they also are very lackadaisical, and, and they're not defiant. They're not beating the sheep. They're not abusing them. They're not hurting them. But they're also not doing what they know they're supposed to be. They know God's will, but they're not doing it. They have this careless, lackadaisical, complacent, lazy attitude. It's like, well, you know, I'll get around to it someday. But I'm so busy right now. I'm so busy. I don't have time, you know, but, but next year I'm going to do this kind of discipleship thing, right? I'm going to get it together next year, right? And notice what it says. When, when Jesus comes, they're going to be caught up in the clouds. They're going to go to heaven, and they're going to get the robe and the crown. It's going to be a party, and they're going to celebrate Jesus, right? No, it says they will receive a severe beating. <laughs> and then you say, wait a minute, hold on, time out, hold the bus, uh, what happened to this whole, like, grace thing, right? What happened to, like, there shall be no, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? This sounds like condemnation. Well, it's grace that he's not getting cut in two and thrown out with the first guy, right? That's grace, right? He's, he's entering into the kingdom. He is in God's, God's presence. But Jesus says what he says here. He says, there will be some who are leaders in the church, who are leaders in ministry, who people look up to, right? Who, when they get to heaven, they did not do their job. They were not prepared. They were not doing what they knew God called them to. And they will be receiving a beating, a severe one. What does that mean? Well, it means we better pay attention, man. That's what it means, right? It means we should not be so casual and callous about eternity, Every human being will stand in judgment before God. And if you're a Christian, you will be judged for your life. You will give an account and an answer for your life. I will give an account for my life. And the reality is that there is no condemnation. You will, you will not be held responsible for any of your sin. It will be washed away. But as you look back over your life at the opportunities God gave you to impact others for eternity... Every one of those that you wasted will bring upon you regret, right? There will be no condemnation in heaven, but there will be tons of regret. Right? There will be a lot of people who will enter heaven with huge regret that they wasted their life and did nothing for God's kingdom. And it will sting like the stripes of a beating. Right? I'm not saying, and I don't know that Jesus is going to beat you physically, I'm thinking probably you're safe on that one. I think that would be better, honestly, than to deal with the sting of regret that you wasted your life and to look back at the people that God put into your path and put under your care and you did nothing to help them. Right? And you got all eternity to, to, to own that regret. Is it going to be a happy place? Yeah, it's going to be happy. Are you going to get over it? Well, yeah. But is that how you want to enter the kingdom and stand before Jesus? It's not how I want to. It's not how I want to, right? Uh, and there's grace. And you know, right now, you may be thinking of people that you failed, right? There is grace. And if you confess and you say to Jesus, God, I, I failed, right? I was not the person I should have been. Please forgive me. There is grace. But if you accept his grace, but you don't change and start doing something different today, it's going to be sad when you get to heaven. Uh, Third category, the ignorant. Uh, But the one who didn't know and did what was deserving a beating, 
he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Okay, these are the sheep of the bad shepherds, right? Those guys that are all loving people and not teaching truth, right? So they didn't have a clue. They didn't know because nobody taught them, right? So they're going to kind of get off the hook. God's not going to beat them up too badly because they didn't know, right? Okay, that just adds regret to the person who should have told them, right? Because now it's multi-generational regret, right? Because uh, you messed up your life and theirs, right? That's a great legacy. Um, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. The, the deal is, people who are in leadership, especially the higher up the ladder you go, are people who have been given much. More education, more natural giftings and talents, uh, oftentimes more intelligence, more, more schooling, uh, oftentimes more resources of money and wealth and all those things, right? We are those people. You guys are the A-team. Okay, look around. You're, this is the A-team. This is as good as it gets, right? And I don't say that. My, it's true. You guys are very talented, very educated, very trained, very equipped, very experienced, right? God, God wants a lot out of this room, God is expecting a lot out of this room. And Jesus is saying, don't don't blow it. Don't blow the opportunities I am putting before you. Last one. The faithful and wise steward. He, he, He says there's two blessings. First, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself, that is Jesus, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and he will serve them. Verse 43, Blessed is that servant to whom his master will find so doing when he comes. That is, taking care of the sheep. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Uh, Heaven is not going to be an equal place. God is not a communist. Okay, When you get to heaven, we don't all get an equal share. Some are going to be famous. Some are going to be janitors, right? And the way you determine your rank and position in heaven is by how faithful you are as a steward and manager here and now. Uh, he, he gives much. He expects much. For those who are faithful with what God has given, he says, you will be set in charge of everything I own. Sound like a good deal? Uh, it sounds kind of intimidating, actually, because God owns a lot. It's, a lot. it's like more responsibility, right? But I'm thinking in heaven that's going to be a good thing, right? It's, it's intended to be a blessing. Okay, we, will, we will actually rule with Christ as his chief governors and vice regents if we've been faithful here on earth. That is not a promise to every believer. Okay? Many will be as citizens of heaven, but, but they will be ruled and governed by those who are faithful here and now. Right? Which class do you want to be in, right? Uh, the one who's serving sacrificially, the one who's feeding the flock, the one who's loving the sheep, who's anticipating daily Jesus' return, will be prepared to receive that kind of reward. Secondly, Jesus says that for those who have, have been faithful, for those who have been faithful, they will be seated at the great banquet table. And Jesus himself will put on his apron, right? And he will serve us. An amazing picture, right? Um, and Jesus does not include everybody in this category. And I don't know how it works, right? But 
Uh, But for those who serve well, Jesus will celebrate you at this banquet. You get front row seat. You get the best seats in the house. And Jesus himself will serve you. And he will celebrate you. And he he will say to you, man, thank you so much for taking care of my sheep. Right? Uh, for, for those of you who taught in Sunday school and you came faithfully week after week, even though you were tired and you had a thousand other things you could have done, and you taught those little five-year-old brats <laughs> and you loved them and you cared for them and you taught them my word, thank you so much for taking care of my sheep. For you parents who loved your kids, for you parents who prayed for your kid who did not accept Christ right away and who grew into an adulthood, and for years and years you prayed and you labored in agony for that child because you loved them, because you wanted them to know me. Thank you for not giving up on them. For those of you who discipled and came along the weak and the poor and and took care of those I put in your your charge, thank you. And Jesus, as he serves us, as he sits with us at table, will grab us by the shoulders and he will look deep into our eyes. And he will say to you, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.